We're going to be starting a new series today uh, called Baggage. Now, if you've been with us from the beginning, we did a ser- our very first series at Journey was on baggage. This, this one is going to be a little different. So if you think I've heard this, you have not. Um, but I want, what I want to do in this story is basically I want, to, I want to walk you through a story that you probably know pieces of, but you don't know the whole story. And I want to walk you through the story and help you to see what it looks like to be weighed down by baggage and how we can unload it. The story is the story of Joseph, not Joseph the uh, husband of Mary, but Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph with the coat of many colors. You probably know the basics of the story. The basics of the story are that Joseph's brothers were jealous. Joseph was sold into slavery. Joseph became a ruler of Egypt. Joseph rescued his family from a famine. And then Joseph, it goes through an interesting time where he's dealing with his brothers and with his family as they eventually become reunited. What you may not know, there's a few things you may not know, but one of the things you may not know is in this story, it is a huge story of baggage. And it's actually, Joseph is the hinge pin that connects us back from Noah all the way into when we move into Exodus. Because it is through the actions and the choices of Joseph that eventually the nation of Israel would become enslaved and would be under the power of the Pharaoh, which would then cry out to be rescued. This is a huge story in the Old Testament. But what I don't want to do is this is what often happens with Old Testament stories. We have come to the place in our spiritual development that we believe, I need to know New Testament stuff. I want to know about Jesus and what happened when Jesus came. But the reality is God worked in many consistent ways from the very beginning to where we are today. And so as we go back and we see these, read these stories, we have to read them and understanding God is still the same God then that he is today. And so as we understand how God worked then, I hope that you will find in your own lives ways that God is working in your life today. Now, we have to, if you're, if you've never read through the book of Genesis, let me just tell you, it, it, you are missing out. It is, if you think that 50 shades of gray is bad, you need to read through the book of Genesis because the book of Genesis is shady. If you ever wanted to come and think, should I know Jesus? And you only read the book of Genesis. You would say, no way. No, they're crazy. Those people are crazy. And so I want to give this kind of disclaimer caveat before we begin. And and, in our small group, we're going through... we're going through the book of Romans, and, and we talked about this just a few weeks ago. So if you're in our small group, you're already aware of this. But it talks about there are three primary differences in the way God worked with people as it relates to sin. Really four. The first one would be um, when we were first created in the garden before anybody ate of the tree, and we were just, you know, everything was good. It was just, it was heaven on earth, literally. Everything was good. And then sin entered And you'll remember they ate from the tree of what? Knowledge of good and evil. Their minds were opened, and all of a sudden they knew this is good, this is not so good. However, our children also know that, but don't they often come to us with little ways around, well, I know that's not good, but, and then they've got a way to tell us it's really not that bad. 
You know, that's really how all of the book of Genesis is. And so it's a group of people that now they have become aware of good and evil, but they have not yet been given the law. The law changed everything at this point of the story. As we read in Romans chapter 4, it says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law because it hadn't been given yet but through righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Or your, your Bible may say there is no sin. So what we read about in Romans, what Paul is trying to hold up as a value of faith, is saying as we look back to one of the heroes of our faith, which is Abraham, he did not have the law. He was not under the law. It had not been given to him. So as you read through the book of Genesis, you have to recognize, wow, these are really dysfunctional people. And that's why we're focusing a series on baggage around this one story is because it was a very dysfunctional people who God, when he brought the law in, began to create guidelines for which you, not guidelines, but strict laws in which you will follow my teachings to get out of this mess you're in. So that's what we're going to be doing. And the reason we're talking about baggage is because every one of us in the room has it. None of us was born with baggage. We came into the world thinking everything was going to be good, right? We had all great expectations. We had big ideas. We were going to do whatever with our lives. We were optimistic, full of hope, ready to attack the world. And then the world kind of push, pushes back, doesn't it? And along the way, we, instead of running towards those ideals that we believe life is so great and wonderful, we begin to get weighed down. And if you've ever gone on a trip, and let me tell you something, when we go on a trip, we are weighed down. When you have four children going on a trip with you, you are weighed down. Whenever we load up the car, it's just, I hope the tires make it. I mean, I really do, once we have everything on there. And, and I'm not joking, we're going to be going on a trip in a few weeks, and I've got to go buy a box to put on top of my car, because we cannot no longer fit all our luggage in the car. But I love when we go on trips and I just have one bag and that's it. But often what ends up happening with our lives is we don't go unencumbered. We end up walking through our lives, piling on all of these heavy burdens to which we don't even realize we have them, but we all of a sudden feel like life is moving very slow. We're just not able to to move the way we want. Our lives are not turning out the way we hope. Emotionally, we end up being a little broken and sometimes very shattered. And we don't always know what's going on within us. Hebrews 12 talks about this, and what you are going to find is that all baggage, and I'm going to throw it out there early, all baggage is sin. There is a reason you're holding on to this baggage. Now, the sin may have been done to you, you may have committed a sin, but baggage comes not because this is the way God wants you to live your life. Baggage comes because sin is active 
in the world. This is what Hebrews 12.1 says in the New Living Translation. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now, this morning, my brother-in-law, I don't know if they made it. I don't, they were going to try to come. I don't know if they could make it or not, or he may be in the hospital this morning. He was running a half marathon and, uh, here in Chattanooga, and he's sick. So he could barely breathe just sitting there, and he was going to run a half marathon. So I don't, he may be in the emergency room. I haven't seen him. But you cannot run carrying a lot of weight. In fact, he was borrowing a watch of of mine to run with, and I like a big metal heavy watch, but when you're a runner, you don't like that. So we took off the metal band yesterday and put on a rubber band, and and, uh, I mean, it weighed, it's like a whole new watch. It was like a little little toy. It was so light, and and that was ready. He needed to run with the least amount of weight holding him back. For our lives, we live exactly the same way. You get up in the morning with a goal of how you're going to live your life, but likely you are already going to be triggering some responses to people around you, not based on what is actually happening in the room, but based on baggage you have pulled onto yourself or someone has put onto you, and you have now changed the way you see the world, changed the way you react to the world, and life just gets heavy. There are lots of ways we try to deal with this baggage. Addiction is one of the things that right now is rapidly growing as a means by which we deal with our baggage. In order for us to deal with all the hurt and the pain and the disappointment and the frustration, we end up piling on things that help us cope with it. And some of us, and I myself included, can look at someone and say, you're struggling with addiction. I'm so glad I don't struggle with addiction. And yet when the day is stressful, my first instinct is to go eat something I shouldn't because it helps me deal with stress in my life. Or I'll sit down on the couch and turn on a movie, and rather than do what I need to do to relieve the stress, I'm going to sit here and just be absorbed into entertainment. Therefore, I have avoided having to deal with what the real problem is. See, baggage takes on so many different forms, and I want to take you through this story of Joseph. And uh, so if you'll open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, we're going to go basically 37 through most of the the end of Genesis, but not all of it. At the end of this story of the life of Joseph, there are a few verses that basically will transition you into the book of Exodus where the people of Israel are now enslaved under Pharaoh. So this is how close this is. Now, some time will pass between Joseph and that story, but I want you to see that the story of Joseph is one laden with someone who has, has piled on baggage, not just because of his own choices, but because of the choices that those before him made. So if we look at Genesis chapter 37, beginning with verse 1, it tells us about Jacob first, who is Joseph's dad. Now, you probably have heard of Jacob before. I'm going to catch you up on where Jacob fits in the story in a minute. Verse 1 says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. Now, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. 
So here's our introduction to Joseph. Joseph is a 17-year-old, and he's got a whole lot of stepbrothers. And if you begin to follow through the family history of Joseph, you will find it is very, very much a southern stereotype. They could easily have grown up in Alabama. Now, if you're from Alabama, I'm sorry, you shouldn't be rooting for Alabama, and, I, and then it, this wouldn't, we wouldn't have this problem. You're out of here. <laughs> or East Tennessee. Could be East Tennessee as well. All right? But right off the bat, what do we see with the story of Joseph? He's got some brothers that don't like him. And is it really any wonder why with these first words that describe his action with his brothers at this time? His brothers are doing something they ought not do, and what does Joseph do? He goes and tells on them. Now, if you want to make your siblings mad at you, go tell your parents something that they did that they weren't supposed to do. I was telling, uh, I was telling, I can't remember who I was telling yesterday. I guess I was telling uh, my brother-in-law, I was saying, you know, I never, I always got in trouble for things my sister did. Did any of you ever have that problem? She was older than me, and she was smarter than me. Therefore, when she said I did something, I, I clearly must have done it, even when I didn't. Now, it's possible that my track record did not paint me in the best picture with my parents at times. But you don't go telling on your brothers or your sisters, right? You got to stick together, and you got to get through this world. But Joseph goes and gives a bad report, and we don't know what the report is, but they're supposed to be out working in the field. All of them are older than him. And he goes and he tells dad, hey, dad, my brothers aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it says here, as we go into verse 3, that they this begins a process of anger in his brothers towards Joseph. Verse 3 says, now Israel which is Jacob. Jacob was renamed Israel, which is, you will find, where we get the nation of Israel. All of these brothers become the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what makes up the nation of Israel, this family right here. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Now, let that sink in. He loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. We would call that baggage. Baggage that was being piled on already from a father, and it affected all of his sons. It affected them differently. It would affect Joseph in a way for him to feel good. I know I'm favored. But it would affect all his brothers negatively, knowing they were not. So already, right from the beginning of the story, we've got conflict between brothers, and we've got a dad clearly showing favoritism to one child over another. We'll get to that in just a minute. Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. There's really more to the story than just that. It wasn't just that Joseph was the last one born. He wouldn't be. There was another child that would be coming. It wasn't just that he was younger than all the others. There was more to this story. And he made him, because he was his favorite, a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Let's pray before we move on, and then we're going to jump into this. Father, God, I thank you that we can study the lives of people who were broken 
and who lives in many ways were very unhealthy. But I thank you that you give us a way in order to reach health again. Father, I pray for us in this room today that as we go through this story, we will not just look at the unhealth of Joseph, but we will begin to explore in our own lives and what are the things that are holding us back and tripping us up in our lives today. Father, I pray that you would open up your word, and I pray that we would hear it with ears ready to act. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, let's go back and do a little bit of history lesson. Now, I told you that Joseph was kind of a hinge pin between Noah and then the nation of Israel being enslaved into Egypt. Now, Noah had three sons. Do you remember who they were? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Very good. Now, we hear a whole lot about Shem and his family, but we sure don't hear a whole lot about Ham and Japheth later, although they created their own nations. Shem's line ends up with a long lost grandson, not long lost, but a grandson by the name of Abram. Now, Abram, coming from the line of Shem, was a man who did very well. He was a businessman. He was very shrewd. He had a lot of wealth. And God came to Abram one day and said, I want you to follow me and I want you to trust me. And I want you to go to a land wherever I tell you, and I'm going to make you prosper. Now, Abraham, or Abram, whose name would later be changed to Abraham, loved a woman. Do you remember her, what her name was? Sarah. Where do you think Sarah came from? Sarah was Abram's stepsister. Did you know that? Abram married his stepsister. See, we're our, here we are, Heath. I'm sorry, brother, but here we are. <laughs> Abram married his stepsister. Feels like home. Feels like home. <laughs> Okay, that took, an, uh, that took an unfortunate turn. All right. Abraham and Sarah, Ab- Abraham loved Sarah. Now, as Abraham began to leave and, and go to this new nation, if you'll remember the story of Abraham, he actually went and he told Sarah, his wife, who he treasured among all things, you are beautiful, and if people find out that I'm married to you, they'll kill me. So don't tell anybody that we're married. Tell them that you're my sister. Now, you thought when you heard that story, he made that up, but it was absolutely true. She was his sister. And what ends up happening is he would go into a land, and a ruler of that land took Sarah to be his wife. And then he found out, oh, wait, you're married to him? What have you done to me? And sends her back. Now, this is just the beginning of a story of great unhealth and family relationships. Now, you again have to remember the law had not been given. You also have to remember that at this time, it was very important for the people of God not to intermarry with people that did not worship God. That made the pool of potential spouses very small. But this is the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah tried to have children, but they couldn't. It was then, and for many it still is today, one of the marks of of a truly healthy life is the ability to have children. And so they became depressed, and Sarah became frustrated, and Sarah said, Abraham, you should, here, have my handmaid and have a child through her. Now, when Abraham did that, Abraham sparked off a family crisis 
and a group of events that would eventually lead to Joseph's frustration with his brothers, or more like their frustration with him. So Abraham had a child through Hagar, and Hagar began to rule over Sarah because Hagar was able to have a child and Sarah was not. And so that conflict began to rage, and this went on and on and on until eventually Sarah had a child. And when Sarah had a child, she named him Isaac. Now, the story of Isaac is a very interesting story because it is this child that finally came to him, not his only, but his most precious child that he valued among all other of his children. Does that sound familiar? And God said, I want you to sacrifice that child to prove your faith in me. And it's the story of Abraham taking Isaac, taking him up onto the mountain, and he's going to sacrifice him. And God says, wait, stop, don't do that. And instead, he gave him an alternative sacrifice so he wouldn't have to do that. But Isaac was treasured by Abraham. Now, Abraham and Lot, interestingly, are Lot is Abraham's nephew, and the two of them are traveling together, both doing very well. And if the story can't get any worse, the story of Lot gets worse. Because as they travel together, they realize we can't be this close to each other. Our lives, we're going to drive each other nuts. There's not enough land for all of our herds, and we just really don't need to be this close. Which is, there is a lesson in dealing with baggage. Be close to your family, but not too close. Amen? Amen. So you can testify to that. And so Lot went and they split up and went in different ways. Abraham went into the land of Canaan. Lot went into a land right outside of Sodom. Now later in the story, if you'll follow through the book of Genesis, what you will then find is that God says, I am going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. There is literally no one, there is no one who is going to worship and honor me and Abraham says, oh, wait, don't do that. Don't, don't destroy them. And he goes through this bargaining piece with God and saying, what if there's 50? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? What if there's one? And so in this story, before Sodom is destroyed, two angels, it says, came and visited Lot. And if you remember the story of Lot, this is another story that has always really bothered me. It's a story where these two angels came and Lot meets them out at the city gate and he, they, he says, come and stay with me at my home. And so they come to his home and the entire, says the entire, every single inhabitant of this town surrounds their house and says, send out these two strangers. And Lot protects them. And do you remember how he does it? He sends his two virgin daughters and say, have your way with them, but leave these two strangers alone. Can we just say baggage together? That's right. If you only read the book of Genesis, you would never follow Jesus. (laughs) They did not take advantage of that offer. God did spare all of them. And then as they left, God did destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, except for Lot's wife who turned back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now, this is all in the same story, the same family. Now, as this story continues, Isaac falls in love with a woman. Do you remember who it was? You remember? Rebecca. Rebecca. Isaac falls in love with Rebecca and has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, there was more baggage that that was going to happen in the story in the fact that one of the parents loved Jacob and one of the parents 
loved Esau. Now, Isaac loved Esau. Esau was a man of the land. He was a hunter. He was a gatherer. He was a man who went out. He was hairy and strong. And he would go and he would just, you know, just get the game and bring it in. And he would feed them these fantastic meals. And he just, Isaac loved him. But Jacob was soft. Jacob was pretty. And Jacob was loved by his mother. Now, the story of Jacob and Esau is also a story of great family baggage, and that this, this competing for the love of their parents ended up finding its way into their lives where Jacob actually stole Esau, the older brother's birthright. And eventually that story does have a happy ending, but before it does, the two are about to go to war. Esau wants to kill Jacob. And it is only through a period of time that Jacob comes and submits himself before Esau and there's any healing between the two. So we we see already is a story of baggage being passed down from one generation to the next. Then we come to the story of Jacob. And here's what you hope will happen in the life of someone who's dealing with this kind of family history. You hope somewhere along the way, somebody pulls them aside and says, wait, we need to stop this. This is not good. This thing that's happening is not healthy. But yet it just continues to happen. After Jacob leaves his home, his father says, I don't want you to go marry someone outside of our faith. So I want you to go over to Laban, and I want you to pick a wife from his family. Now, this is another story that just is too fantastic to be true. Jacob goes, and Jacob is a good shepherd. Jacob is good with animals. He's good with building up a flock, building up a herd, and therefore building up wealth for whoever he's working for. He was incredibly smart, and he fell in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. And when he fell in love with Rachel, he says to Laban, I will work for you for seven years if you will let me marry Rachel. And so after the seven years comes and Laban says, okay, we'll do that. And he presents Rachel to Jacob. It says that on their wedding night, Laban swaps Rachel for Leah and sneaks Leah, the older sister, into the wedding tent and that Jacob never notices sleeps with her, the sister of the woman he thinks he's marrying, and doesn't even find out until the next morning. And you think you have problems. After seven years, this is what happened in his life. At the end of that seven years, and at the end of that night, he wakes up in the morning and he goes to Laban, clearly upset, which I would just say, could you not have lit a candle and figured out what had happened ahead of time? But he didn't. He's probably drunk. And so he goes to Laban and he says, but Rachel is who I love. And so Laban says, I tell you what, I, if you will work for me seven more years, you can have Rachel too. But I can't give you Rachel, my youngest daughter, without marrying my oldest daughter off first. And so he said, here's what I'll do for you. If you will just stay solely married to Leah for a week. I will let you have Rachel, and then you can spend the next seven years working it off. (laughs) And so they do. At the end of this story, Jacob has so 
grown the flock of Laban. And he says, it's time for me to go out and to do my thing. It's time for me to take my family who is now growing, and we need to go out. And it was through a very interesting story. We're not going to go through it today. If you want to read through this, this is an interesting story of how Laban and Jacob kind of jockey for how Jacob's going to figure out how he can move off with some of the herd. And it's an incredible story of, of just being smart and, and God working within that relationship for them to move on. Now, you would think somewhere again through the line that someone would say, we need to stop this. The reality is that you have some baggage within your life that someone has noticed, and had they walked up next to you and said, we need to, we need to talk about this, they could have saved you from a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. But the reality is, is that our baggage is not something that we want others to help us with. The problem with baggage is we like it. It's become a part of us. We want to carry it with us. And we begin to believe that the baggage that we carry is not our problem, but anyone else that doesn't agree with our baggage is really their problem. So once we come down to this story with Jacob and Rachel... And Leah, interestingly enough, Rachel as well, just like Rebecca, could not have a child. But Leah had several. And so Leah began to chastise her sister Rachel, saying, look at all these kids I have. And so Rachel says, hey, I got to catch up. Here's my handmaid. Marry my handmaid, and you can have children through her, and it'll be just like they're my children. And, they, and then her handmaid begins to have children. And then Leah does the exact same thing and says, oh, yeah? Well, here's my handmaid. Marry her, and you can have children from her. Now, no one's saying, Jacob, man, this is not a good idea. Because Jacob's all over this idea. Okay, okay. All right. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm, I'm ready. Again, the law has not yet been given. And then through this, he has 10 children through Leah, Bilhah, and Zilpah. And as he has these 10 children, these are the brothers with which Jacob is in the field saying, Dad, they're not doing their job. And Jacob did not learn from Isaac. He did not learn from Abraham that I should not favor one child over the other. And instead, he ended up favoring Joseph because Joseph was finally a child he could have with his favorite wife, Rachel. So Joseph is not just the youngest. He's not just the last one born. Joseph is the child of the one woman he truly loved, and he was special to him. Now, I tell you this whole backstory. For one, I just think it's fascinating when you get back into the history of Genesis. But number two, whenever you read about generational curses or sins of the father, all that is is when a parent does not deal with their baggage and he passes it on to their children. That is what a generational curse is. God does not say, your father screwed up. Therefore, you're going to pay for this for the rest of your life. No, what ends up happening is a father or a mother does not deal with the baggage in their lives and they teach their children to live the exact same way. 
Your baggage is not just something that you have to deal with within your own life. You have to recognize that my choices also affect those that come after me. And as we've seen here, and what we'll also see later in this story, is that those choices continue to be passed on from child to child. So you and I, it's not a luxury to deal with our baggage. It really is life or death. Because what we will read later is that these brothers conspire to kill Joseph because their jealousy grows to such an increased amount that they just can't handle him anymore. But I'll also tell you as we go through this series that God works even in the midst of our baggage to bring about his purposes and his will. So even if you are here today dealing with baggage that maybe you have from your parents, God can still work in that and accomplish his purposes through you. It really is an amazing thing when we begin to see that God did not value the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Lot because they always did the right thing. This is why we over and over and over, when they are referenced in the New Testament, it says God, uh, he approved them because of their faith. Not because of their behavior. Because of their faith. Even we can look back and say their behavior was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. But it was because of their faith. From the very beginning, the gospel has always been that we are only saved by God's grace. It really has never been about behavior. Behavior always follows a heart wanting to please God. But behavior was never a precursor for faith. Never. So it was an incredible story as we go through this. Now, I'm running out of time, and I want to get through the rest of this story and share just a few things to open up our series, because we're going to be talking about this for the next five weeks. There really is that much to talk about in this story. Genesis, uh, if we go to Genesis 37 again, verse 5, we want to continue, I want to just tell you a little more about the story, and then I want to leave you with just a few things for you to think about for next week. As we go to, to Verse 5, it says, now Joseph, this is after he's already told on his brothers and they're mad at him and Jacob makes him a coat of many colors and they get even more mad at him. It says, now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field. We, talking about Joseph and his brothers. We are binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around my sheaf, and it bowed down. Now, he's telling a dream, and what we're going to find later in the story is this dream is true. But sometimes it's not just what's true, it's how we present it, isn't it? You kind of get the sense that at this point, Joseph's like, oh, I cannot wait to tell him about my dream. You're going to bow down to me. And it says they hated him even more. His brothers in verse 8 said, Are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And you would think that Joseph would learn, although none of his predecessors ever learned. Then he dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, who do you think the sun and moon were? Mom and dad. He does have a younger brother also through Jacob and Rachel by the name of Benjamin. 
that would end up being a young, the youngest of them all, and he becomes a very crucial part of the story later, again favored by Jacob. It says in verse 10, but when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. His father's seen God work before, and he's upset about the implications that somehow he's going to bow down to his child. That has never been the way it has been among God's people. It has always been where the father rules and eventually passes that voluntarily on to the oldest son. But instead, Joseph is saying, I'm going to rule over all of you. And in the back of Jacob's mind, he's saying, wow, I can remember some crazy things happening in our past. So I'm going to, I'm going to remember this because it's possible this is how God's going to work. Now, here's what I want you to, to, to have with this with this part of the story. I want you to know, you already know this, but you may not be thinking this. I want you to know that baggage is sin weighing you down. Now, if we look at the sins of what's going on here, clearly we can say, well, there's anger, there's jealousy, you know, there's a little bit of rubbing somebody's nose in it, a lack of graciousness. But we really have baggage in many different forms. So you've got Jacob's baggage, Because he always sought his entire life for his father's approval. And he never, until the very end of his father's life, felt like he had it. And then you have his brothers, who by no fault of their own were not born to Jacob's first love. And so they have lived their entire lives in the shadow of Jacob, knowing that Jacob really didn't love them. At least not like when Rachel finally had a child. And then you have Joseph, and Joseph is dealing with all of the baggage in a little different way because he is the favored. And I will tell you that it is worse in the long run of life to be the favored versus to be the unfavored. See, the unfavored somehow grow up believing they've got to earn their place. They tend to work harder, and they tend to go after life. That's why the unfavored often are more successful than the favored. The favored has a tendency to believe that just because of some hidden virtue among themselves, they are better than everybody else. And so they grow up believing people ought to just give me stuff. I ought to just just be able to walk in the room and people just give me wealth and people go and do my work. But for Joseph, his life was going to take a big turn. All that had happened with the previous generations was building to a head because the anger of the baggage of the brothers had reached its just absolute boiling point. Here they are, the oldest brothers. They've been around longer. They've worked harder. They're the ones that have been trying to please dad and they never have been able to. And Joseph just walks in and everything is just so easy for him. See, they each have sin. Certainly Joseph has a sin of pride at this point. I'm going to rule over you. Certainly, the brothers have the sin of jealousy and envy, though none of them really realize these are sins because they've not yet been given the law. But it affects them regardless. 
See, the difference between us and them is we know more about what is right and wrong than they did, but the effects of sin still affect us all the same. Whatever baggage you're dealing with, it is weighing you down. And some of you may be able to point to some things back in your story of why that you're struggling in life. It is very possible that that is what's happening with you. But I want you to know it is incumbent upon you to deal with this and to move forward. When you are fully living in Christ, you will have no baggage. I really don't think it's possible until either Jesus returns or you and I are in heaven to be 100% free from baggage. We're going to be dealing with sin until we die, until Jesus returns. That's going to be a part of our lives. You and I are going to not just have to deal with baggage that has happened to this point. You and I are going to have to deal with baggage that's going to start tomorrow or in a year or five years. This is a constant process that we're going to be dealing with so we make sure we're not being weighed down by stuff that should not be holding us back. In James 4, he talks about some of these hidden things within us. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, there are things fighting within us that we may not even be aware of that are derailing our life with Christ and our life with other people. It is so important that we are able to learn how to deal with those things. We first did our, our baggage series, our first series at Journey. I, uh, I remember the first sermon I ever, I ever taught at Journey in the movie theater. I remember one of the very first things I said was, it's so good to be here to worship with you, and I'm so excited I get to wear jeans while I'm doing it. Now, of all of the inspirational things a new pastor could say to a new church, that ranks about in the bottom ten. And it was actually about halfway through that series that I began to realize God was actually using that for me, that I was the one in the room that had the baggage to deal with. And I found that a lot of my experiences in the church had led me to a place of frustration and at times anger. And so I valued wearing blue jeans when I should have been valuing something far greater. I remember one of the stories that I, of my earlier ministry was I remember I took my tie off. I stopped wearing a tie, and I, I had a, a family come to me. They were the most generous family in the church by far, and they said, if you don't start wearing a tie again, then we're going to stop giving to the church. And, you know, a wise person probably would have put a tie on, but if you deal with pride issues and independence issues, and I will stick it in your face kind of issues like I have dealt with in my life, I never wore a tie again. Was that wise? Made my ego feel good. But what it ended up doing is it began to change the way I saw people. It began to change the way I saw ministry, and it changed the way I saw God working among us. And even to this day, I still struggle with all of those things. When I first started getting an allowance as a kid, I wanted to go buy all my own stuff. I wanted to buy my own soap, my own deodorant. I wanted to buy everything. 
Because I just felt like if I'm buying my own deodorant, I'm an independent man. Because I didn't know what really meant to be independent. (laughs) I've struggled with wanting to be independent and do everything my own way my entire life. And what that will end up doing is causing you to neglect people if you don't deal with that baggage. And the need to be 100% independent is baggage. Along the way, some of my disagreements with people, some of the things that I just, we were hurt as a family, and some of you know exactly how that feels. Rather than dealing with that in a healthy way and restoring those relationships, I ended up piling that stuff on, and it began changing some of the ways that I did things in my life. And it took me trying to teach other people how to get rid of their baggage for me to realize I've got some serious baggage I've got to deal with. And to this day, I still deal with all those issues. It's really an amazing thing how the human heart works, how, need, how necessary it is that God is active within our lives because we can't do it on our own. That whenever we live life without the interruption of a Savior, we live life walking down a path of destruction. There is a way that seems right to man, but it leads to what? Destruction. The gate is wide, or the road is wide that leads to life, or to destruction, to death. And the gate and the road is narrow that leads to life, and few will find it. When we just live life not trying to figure out what's holding us down and holding us back, we get messed up. That baggage holds us down, and it holds us back. There have been times in our lives that we've dealt with baggage when it comes to finances. I remember the first church I served in, I had a man on our search committee who brought me in and they, they, they knew what they were doing because they, they appealed to my ego. Again, another thing I deal with in life. They appealed to my ego and said, we need a CEO to come run things around here, make this church really great again. And of course, I thought, me, just out of seminary, not knowing a thing about what I really needed to do, I thought, you've got, you got the right man right here. You've got the right guy. We're going to turn this thing into the best thing that's ever been. Even Jesus would want to come to church here. <laughs> and I remember that in that first meeting, we began talking about salary. One of the search committee members said, well, you know, when I started out, I made this figure, which is about half of the poverty rate. I'm not joking. It really was at the time half of the going poverty rate at that time. And he said, we just think that when you start out, that's what you should make. Well, we went. And we knew what it was like to really struggle, to barely be able to pay our bills. I mean, we just, it was, if we went out to eat, you know, we went out to eat really like four times a year, and it was whenever a family member gave us a gift card to go out to eat. You all know how that feels? And I began to be angry with this person because they felt it was so important for us to stay poor. Now, I could have dealt with that in a number of different ways that were healthy, And now that I'm where I am in my life today, now that I've grown and I've matured, I would deal with it differently. But at the time, I let it manifest in anger. And then I got so frustrated by trying to make it every week. And then, you know, my my friends that I graduated in high school, they're going to Hawaii for trips and stuff. And I got mad at them. You know, if you really love Jesus, you'd be making a lot less money. You know, I laughed, but that's kind of what I thought. Because your baggage leads you to make some really bad choices about how to see the world. 
There are all kinds of things I could, baggage I could bring up. Another one that I have dealt with throughout my life is competitiveness. I love to compete. I mean, if you and I are trying to get off at the same exit, I will beat you there. And if you speed up and try to keep me from cutting back in front of you, I'm going to think bad thoughts about you because I really want to beat you. Whenever I come into a grocery store and I have my cart and you have your cart, you guys are going to ever coming back to church after today. I know that. Don't go to that pastor. He's crazy. We got two carts and we're going towards the same aisle at the grocery store and it's the short aisle. I will beat you. I will beat you. I don't mean like I'll beat you. I mean, I will get there before you do. You know, I can be competitive. When I was a kid, I felt like I had to win. One of the things I talk to my kids about while they're in sports is how necessary it is to learn how to be able to have fun in the process and not just have to win because when you have to win, if you don't win, you feel terrible about yourself. You've got to find a way to compete and not have to win. My competitiveness, if I don't deal with it, I, I, I can be competitive about literally anything. You drink the wrong kind of bottled water. You should not be rooting for Alabama. The only problem with saying that is Alabama beats us every year, you know? Competitiveness is another issue that is baggage that I brought on. And do you know where all of my issues come from? Insecurity. Competitiveness, ego, and the need for independence comes from insecurity. And so part of my walk with Christ for several years now has been God Let my value come through you and no longer be through me. And so dealing with baggage for me means I constantly have to remind myself my value is not in myself. My value is in Christ. Because insecurity manifests itself in some really terrible ways. Now, I don't know if you have any clarity on what some of your baggage issues are, but I will tell you they will keep you from living a full life. They will keep you from moving forward. Some of your baggage issues may be financial like mine were at one time. And you believe because you've come from a long line of people who have struggled financially, you will never be able to make it. If you believe that lie, that you will never try to better yourself to the place that you can do better. You will never try to go to school. You will never try for that better job. You will never go for that extra training. You will never stay for those extra hours of work. You will never attempt it because your baggage says, I'm just not good enough. I'll never be there. There's so many ways our baggage manifests itself. Let me leave you with this. I got so much more I could say. Let me, let me, um, okay, let's, let's jump up. I've got some slides at the end that have three numbers beside them. Let's jump down there because the rest of the stuff will be here forever. The key to overcoming your baggage. This is what you're going to be experiencing this is what we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks. Key to overcoming your, bag, your baggage. I'm going to give you just three things, and I want you to think about this for next week. Number one, you have to recognize your own baggage. You have to do some intensive, inward looking at what motivates my heart or your heart. You will be tempted to want to see what motivates my heart because that's easier. But in your own heart, you have to recognize your own baggage. You will never overcome it if you don't know it's there. You will walk around carrying it. I heard a story this week. A woman had like a 140-pound tumor removed from her abdomen. Can you imagine how hard she tried to lose that 140 pounds? Had she never gone for an x-ray, she would still be trying to lose 140 pounds. 
Instead, she's got a tumor. It gets cut out. She's lost 140 pounds. Had she not gone to find out what was the root cause of the... Now, some of you are thinking, I've got to set up an x-ray. I need an x-ray right now. <laughs> You've got to recognize it so you can deal with it. Recognize your own baggage. You got to where you are somehow. And it is changing the way you see the world. Uh, one other thing about this. If you surround yourself with people who refuse to point out your baggage, you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people. Now, if you have someone that comes to you and says, Mark, I need you, I think you should, I think you've got a problem, and I think you should deal with this problem. And if you shut out every person who's ever said that to you, you have just shut out the people that can help you live a full life. Because many times there are those people that are going to show you what your baggage is. Number two, you have to own that your baggage is sin. Now, we live right now in a victim culture that says, not my fault, I'm this way, it's their fault. And we point blame to everybody as to why I am the way I am. No, I am the way I am because of my choices of how I've dealt with these things. You have to own your baggage as your sin. There's no way you're going to ever overcome this unless you do that. Whether you're hurt in church, whether you're hurt in your family, whether you're hurt right now in your relationship with your spouse or your kids or your parents, you have to own your baggage. This is yours. It is not anyone else's fault that I am where I am. I am where I am because of my choices. I will own them and I will deal with them. Then you can move forward. Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes but the Lord weighs the Spirit. I can fool anyone in this room, but I cannot fool God. I cannot fool God. Third thing is this. This is where this is always going to end. This is where our last week is going to really focus on. Forgiving our offenders and ourselves is a key to overcoming our baggage. You will not get there without forgiveness. Forgiveness is crucial. You may have to forgive yourself for some choices you've made. You may have to forgive somebody else for what they've done to you. Do you know one in four girls will be sexually assaulted before they grow to and be an adult? One in four. Do you know in the foster care system that over 90% of the children before they leave the foster care system will be sexually assaulted? Do you know that? We can all be victims. At the end of the day, can we forgive? See, all those kids are going to get stuck if they don't learn how to forgive. And they're not going to learn how to forgive unless they're surrounded by people who are showing them how to forgive. Forgiveness is always going to be a key part of this. So the last thing I'm going to share with you, then we're going to sing uh, one more song and take our offering before we go. This is what I would ask you to pray for this week. I would pray that you would ask God to reveal the baggage that is weighing you down so you can fully live in his plan. Now, what you're going to find throughout this series is that God is such an amazing, gracious, graceful, merciful God that even in the times that we have not dealt with our baggage, he actually does some pretty incredible things with our story in spite of it. But I will tell you, when you have the opportunity to deal with it and you don't, you will get stuck and you will not live the full life that God wants you to. So I would invite you this week, begin this process. God, show me what is weighing me down. Let me confess that. Forgive where I need to forgive. Let me move forward within your plan.
We've got a lot of some fun, some fun and some not-so-fun stories to share over the next few weeks. I really hope you'll stick around with us. We're going to have this series leading right up into Easter. And then when we come in here for Easter, we're going to have a huge celebration for our Savior's gift to us. And so I hope you'll stick with us for that. I hope you'll come back next week and you'll have lunch with us because, gosh, community is so vital in all of this. So we're going to have fun, wear your appropriate pajamas, text me a picture if you're not sure if it's appropriate, and I will tell you whether it's appropriate or not. Be sure and sign up out here if you're going to bring something so we know what's coming. We'll put this podcast online if you know somebody that this topic will be helpful for, and you invite them to come back next week, all right? Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you that even in the midst of our sinfulness, you are a gracious God who not only can work within all of our hardships, all of our baggage, but you are a God who helps us to release it. I pray for those in this room, whether they're dealing with stuff that's gone on in their childhood, stuff that went on years ago, or stuff that's happening right now, Father, I pray that you would begin the process of them being able to see the roots of what is weighing them down. I pray that you would give the courage to own it, to confess it, to begin the process of forgiveness. I pray that we would be a people that would be able to walk in what is true, what is really true in your eyes, so that we can help change the world around us. Father, we love you, and I thank you that even in our poor behavior, I thank you that even in the midst of our baggage, you loved us so much that you gave your son to die for us when we could do nothing for ourselves. I thank you for your love, and I thank you for your grace. pray that you would pour that out on us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.